Gracious God, as we come together on this Sabbath day to remember, guide us and guard us in our conversation, in our study of scripture, in our caring for one another, and for our being together. And do this, we pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit, which always surrounds us uh, and is held within. Amen. Okay. I got what? You got two of the Ten Commandments in there. Did I get? All right, good. Good. All right. Um, Sabbath as resistance. That's kind of what this is all about. Um, The idea that Sabbath is... Sabbath is filled with so many different images for us. We talked about this a little bit last week. That when we think about Sabbath, we, we think good, um, you know, it's a holy day, it's a day set apart. And then there are also those things that we tend to also kind of clutter in with it. No dancing, no movies, no cards, that kind of stuff. Um, baggage, I think most of us tend to, to hold with the idea of Sabbath. Blue laws, we remember blue laws and and there's even a sense that today we kind of uh, miss, maybe, those days when we were able to hold the, the whole culture in captivity and make them be like us for that one day anyway and not go shopping and do all that other stuff. Um, however, if we're going to look through Sabbath, at least in some sense, through the eyes of our Jewish brothers and sisters, then we have to kind of broaden that understanding. We have to kind of consider out of out of their understanding of how Sabbath was born. Um, and so that's really what we're doing. Um, a quick review from, from last week. Um, and we started off, as you remember, I said, I'm going to give you the answer to start with, and then we'll kind of work through it. And this was, this was one way of putting what I was trying to get at. Um, so when taken seriously in faith by Jews and derivatively by Christians, Sabbath keeping is a way of making a statement of particular identity among larger public identity, of maintaining and enacting a counter identity that refuses mainstream identity that itself entails anti-human practices and the worship of anti-human gods. It's a mouthful. Um, And there was an easier way of thinking about it. Sabbath keeping is a bodily act of testimony to alternative values and resistance to prevailing values and the assumption behind those values. When do we become alternative? When do we become... Oh. Wow. Um, That is such a loaded question. When do we become alternative? Um, boy, that, that literally could take up our whole morning. That one question could take up our whole morning. Because the, the other way of looking of that, or looking at that, might be to ask a different question. Um, since when are we supposed to look different than everyone else? It's the same question. And um, why would we want to look different than everyone else out in culture? Why don't we want to look just the same as everyone else? Um, that, that question is at the heart of what we're talking about. When did we become something other? And in fact, if you were to go out there and talk to a whole mess of non-Christians or, you know, people who are slightly Christian-esque, if we look any different than anyone else, the unfortunate answer would probably be, probably be, no, Christians look like just everybody else. Is that, was that the intent? Um, of the gospel, of the people of Israel. Go out and make disciples.
Gary, you may have hijacked my whole class here. We're going to see. Um, yes, I would say. And what are we supposed to... We are inviting them to make disciples. What are we inviting them into? Becomes the question. When we, when we create disciples, we invite people into something. That may be the question. You're going to rescue me because my mind's trying to get back to this, and yet. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think a criticism, a fair criticism of culture out there is that we pretty well have just blended in. We've just pretty well blended in. And not only have we blended into the culture, but we've blended the faith into that culture. Um, that, that the faith seems to resemble... I'm just going to go ahead and say this. The faith tends to resemble democratic capitalism more than anything else. And we'll play with that today. In fact, that's part of of what this is about. So, So let's move on. Keep that in thought. Keep his question in your mind. When did we ever become something other? Yeah. Yeah, where do we find our security? And we have tended to find our security, even the church has tended to find its security in the culture in which it lives, rather than stepping to the side of that culture and, and preach to it from, from a place of power and spirit, we tend to sink our own comfort from within that culture and the security of that culture. All right, if we're going to look at last week, briefly... Um, we are going to remember that, that God is not, or Pharaoh is not God. And as the people of Israel find their liberty, as they find their liberation, they move from this place of slavery um, into this, this new place that's still undefined, by the way. We're going we're gonna to get to that today. But... Um, they recognize that God is not, if Pharaoh says he is God, this new God seems to look radically different. Um, In that, this God tends to, this God gives us commandments that yes, demand our loyalty as Pharaoh demanded our loyalty to the one God. But there 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 were other commandments there that asked us to look not just towards God, but towards one another. We remember that from last week. Um, so, getting back to this idea of Sabbath, we understand, if we look at, at the people of Israel, we understand this comment. People are invited to awareness that life does not consist of frantic production. More bricks. More bricks. More bricks. Pardon? And straw. And now bricks without straw, or you're going to have to go get your straw, and we still want as many bricks. You have to go out and get your own straw now, but we want as many bricks as ever before. So people are invited to awareness that life does not consist of frantic production and consumption that reduces everyone else to threat and competitor. That's what happens. And as the work stoppage permits a waning of anxiety, so energy is redeployed to the neighborhood. We take one day, one day in seven, and say, stop. Life is not about frantic production. 
simply isn't. Not in God's economy, so to speak. Um, so if we remember the story and the suggestion that the people of Israel are heading out into the desert, they find themselves at a loss because Moses has gone away. And he doesn't appear to be coming back anytime soon. It doesn't look that way anyway. And so people go back to what they're familiar with, okay? Anxieties, where are we going to get what we, what we get? What are we supposed to be doing? Um, where are we supposed to be going? So what happens in Exodus 32? The whole story of, of the Israelite people deciding for themselves to make a golden calf, to make another god, for themselves. We know the story. Um, do something. <laughs> do something. Do anything. Make us something. So we go get our gold and our silver and we melt it down and we make another God. Yes? I never understood why they needed another God in 40 days. Is that how long? Well, yeah, but if you're an anxious people and you're in an anxious place, um, anxiousness begs for relief. Pardon? Yeah, by day four. Um, you have to do something. That's what we do. We do something. If, if something isn't going as we planned, hoped, wanted, expected, we have to do something. Um, that's the life we live. We live it out of our anxiety. We have to make something happen. Uh, we need to make gods now that will lead us. We have to do it ourselves. Um, he got us out of Egypt, this Moses guy, but where's he gone? He's disappeared on us. So we know how the story goes. Moses uh, returns with the tablets. He sees what's happened. The tablets are destroyed. Um, Moses goes back up the mountain and this bargaining process begins. Okay? God talks to Moses again. Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm going to wipe them all out. Um, and there's this bargaining that, that Moses enters into with God and in the end, um, in good storytelling fashion, God kind of relents and, and decides, okay, I will, um, I will continue on with this people. We will, we will keep going on. Um, in Exodus 34, we have that new covenant. So it's not really a new covenant, but it is. Would somebody be willing to turn to Exodus 34? Would you be willing to read that part, which is the, the, the New Covenant part? Let me take a look. I... Oh, it's from the message. <laughs> the Bible wannabe. Okay, now. It's quite picky. 34 what? <laughs> is that okay? I don't mean to insult. <laughs> um, part of it, because I have to make sure the... It's just, there we go. Um, okay. The covenant renewed. Read from there to there. It's okay. a bit of a reading, so pay attention closely. He said, I hereby make a covenant. Before all your people, I will perform marvels. This is God. Such as have not been performed in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you live shall see the work of the Lord, for it is awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you today. See, I will drive out before you the, Amorite, the Amorites and the Canites and the Hittites and the Perzavites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Take care not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you are going 
or it will become a snare among you. You you shall tear you shall tear down their you shall tear down their altars, break their pillars, and cut down their sacred poles. For you shall worship no other god, because the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, for when they pr- prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to their gods. <coughs> Someone among them will invite you, and you will eat of the sacrifice, and you will take wives from among their daughters and for your sons and and their daughters who prostitute themselves to their gods will make your sons also prostitute themselves to their gods. You shall not make cast idols. You shall keep the festival of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I command you. At the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you come out of from Egypt. All that first opens the womb is mine. All your male, livestock, and firstborn of the cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. No one shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even in plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. You shall observe the festival of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good enough. I won't torture you guys anymore. Did that sound like Exodus 20? Not much at all. So Exodus 20 is the first Ten Commandments. This is the reestablishment of that covenant after the idol scene. There's really only one thing that overlaps between those two, and that's this, what you're looking at. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even in plowing time and in harvest time, you shall rest. What do you notice about that compared to the command in Exodus 20? Anyone offhand? Two things. First, the reason for rest is not there. What was the reason? in six days did the Lord create the seventh day the Lord retired for a day in place of that something else is added you shall rest not only shall you rest but even in plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest okay so now the covenant is suggesting that even in the busiest times of the year, those times that cause you the most angst, those times that are likely to reduce your worry and anxiety in the future because you've got it in the ground or you've got it in the shed, even in those days, you are to rest. You are not to work on the Sabbath even in the busiest days, even in the most anxious of times, you are not to work. You are to take a day off. Not because God did, but because God says so. What's behind it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Yes. Yeah. The fact that so much of this is coming out of the creation story tells us that at one level, God is saying on the seventh day, he can relax because everything is done. The system is set up. Trust it. God can step away from it. Remember last week I said, it wasn't like on the seventh day, God checked every hour on the hour to make sure things were going, just as he planned, and then he took an hour's rest, and then he came back again to make sure everything was going as it was supposed to go, and he stepped away again. Then an hour later, no. He stepped away from it. He trusted creation. He, he gives us that witness. We, too, are encouraged, commanded, to step away from it, to trust it, I still maintain the best definition of the word faith is simply another word, trust. Trust. So yes, have faith. Trust what is in place. I see those two times as the ones that we, we have the Yeah. Yeah, but you think you do. Think you do. We think we do. Yeah. Interesting. Well, enter the word of modern psychology, as it would bring to this. We understand we actually work better when we are rested. Um, ask a college student. They'll disagree with that. No, if I pull an all-nighter, I'll do much better, I'm sure. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, if you lived, grew up in farm country, you would realize that the farmer... Yeah. Yeah, this is not anywhere near as easy as you and I are thinking it is. Um, This is like telling um, a tax accountant to take Sundays off in March. This is like telling a basketball coach to take March off, a Big Ten basketball coach. Well, that's not... Um, Then he has the whole rest of the year. Yeah. This is basically saying at your busiest, most critical time of your production cycle, you still take the day off. You still take the Sabbath day off. Yeah. Question. Yes. Well, there's lots of, lots of, you mean with regard to creation? No, that is a day. This is a 24-hour period at this point. Yeah. Let's let her, she... Sure they did. Yeah. If they were obedient Jews, Absolutely. And as, as, as the nation became more structured and more legalistic, that stop became all that much more important, and the definition of travel became even more restrictive. Yeah.
Yeah, death or, yeah. Yeah. I, I think this has got to be put in the context that, that God is not, we don't want to become with this the same way the Israelites became with it in time. We, you know, we talked last week, some people have to work. My wife has to work. She's a nurse. People don't get better just for the Sabbath day and then get sick again on Monday. Doctors have to work. Firefighters. But we tend to take a pretty liberal, ridiculously liberal understanding of that. Uh, Yeah. Yes. And other with health, yeah. And here are these secular people studying the Buddha. Yet they're finding yeah. that the healthiest are the seventh day Adventists. Yeah. And it's this it's rest and health. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting in, the, in that, you know, if, as I continue to look at that theme of anxiety, that, um, and, I, and, I, and I start, you know, putting that into the box of modern psychology and the realization of what anxiety does to the human psyche and soul, um, you can begin to see that this wisdom is born of old, that this is, this is nothing really new. They understood anxiety is probably not a great thing for us. Probably not. So even in your busiest seasons, even at tax time, the tax accountant needs to observe the Sabbath. Come on. All right, so this is, you have the Sabbath, you have the golden calf, then you have the new... New uh, commandments. Then, then what, what is the repercussion? What is the result of their disobedience? Well, they're going to be they're going to be wandering for forty years. Um, Google Maps. I I don't know. I thought it was cute. <laughs> okay, so. The Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. And need I know their suffering. And they have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promise, right? He's going to bring them out of slavery and into this land of milk and honey. Um... In this action of moving people from slavery into a land of milk and honey, there is a problem, a potential life-killing problem. Um, And that has to do with what it is to go into the promised land. Terry, you might need this. As a matter of fact, let me give you this. I'm going to set the stage for you a little bit. It's 39 years after they have left Egypt, 
And Moses is now gathering together. He's called together all of Israel. They're convened together. Imagine a huge assembly. And I want you to think now that you are the Israelites. Moses is telling them that remember when I brought down the Ten Commandments from you the first time and you were afraid because you saw all the fire and so you stayed and I am the one who spoke God's words to you. And this is what God said. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but oh, showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. You will work for six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien living in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember, 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 you were a slave in the land of Egypt and I, the Lord you God, brought you out from there. Therefore, therefore keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you so that your days may go long and it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Do not commit murder. Neither shall you commit adultery. Neither shall you steal. Neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor and neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife. Neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or donkey or ox or anything or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is what God said. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So that sounds a little bit more like Exodus 20, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like Exodus 32, which we read that sounded so strange, but did have that prohibition about plowing and reaping. So what's happening here? Why another reading of the covenant? Um, because things happen when you move from one way of being to another way of being. So you move from slavery to wandering to riches, basically. And so Deuteronomy is the last speech. It's basically the last speech Moses gives to the people of Israel before they enter, before they cross over 
into the promised land. He does not want them to forget who they are. He doesn't want them to forget who they were. So he's basically saying to them, we're redoing this covenant because this covenant wasn't just for them who started this journey, who are now dead, because you are now a new generation wandering in the woods, or in the desert areas anyway. That covenant made back then with them is also the covenant you live into. This is yours. You are the same people. This is your covenant as well. He doesn't want, Moses does not want them to forget this. Why wouldn't he want them to forget this? I'm asking a question. I really, I really am. Why? Yeah, so, so has God still got that back in the back of God's brain? You know, better remind him because, you know, they probably kept that golden calf somewhere. I don't know. Why else? Any ideas? So remember it. So it needs to be remembered and held at the center of who we are, okay? You know, as, as married folk, it behooves us every now and then to go read that marriage license again. Remember? Consider those vows again, sickness and in health, good times, bad. Um... There is one exception uh, in terms of, of what is happening here in Deuteronomy versus Exodus. You shall observe a Sabbath and here your livestock or the resident alien in your towns must have that Sabbath as well so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you not in addition to you, as well as you. In other words, the rest that the slaves, the aliens, the males, the females are to have is to be qualitatively equal to that of the landowner, the slave owner, He who owns the means of production. It's not to be anything less. It is to be the same. Not in addition to. Not in addition to. But equal to. Um, Why would we need to say that? It goes back to what we were talking about earlier because prosperity <coughs> breeds amnesia. <coughs> Not only does time breed amnesia, but prosperity breeds amnesia. So they are about to enter into a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a good land a land that will produce. Abundantly, it will produce. Um, Because this land is fertile, the produce of this land will make Israel safe and happy. And if you realize that one point, that the produce of the land will make Israel safe and happy, then you have to take the next step and realize that if they can produce more, then they will be safer and happier. You see where this is going? 
In other words, this land can become so productive that Israel can be accusative. They can become an acquiring nation like all the other nations. And in fact, it's not long after, what do they say to God? Give us a king like all the other nations. Before you know it, the golden life becomes what? To acquire more. Because it makes you safer and it makes you happier, supposedly. Yes? At this passing, mm-hmm. as well as the others of the Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, so, what I'm hearing, it's yeah, is it's important, and um, that if we are trusting the land, if we are trusting, if we if we have faith, if we're not, if if our course of action isn't all about productivity and accumulation. We will still have. We will still be safe and happy. Um, take the day off; it proves itself. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> So what did you say? He's ruined my going out to dinner on Sunday. <laughs> he, he ruined it, huh? He ruined it. I'm sure he feels bad about that. Um, let's talk about that for just a minute because um, the question you asked earlier is, when did I become something alternative? Okay, when did, I, when did I step outside my culture and have some kind of different witness instead of just being part of this culture? After all, it's a Christian nation, right? Um, so when am, when am I to step outside? Why would that make a, a witness? Well, the response... To, to that, to, the, to Greg's idea, um, traditionally has been, you know, that you, you know, we don't go out to dinner on the Sabbath. Um, the typical response to that has often been in the modern era, yeah, but you know that waitress needs that job. And the waitress needs to feed her kids. Um, the cash register person at Kmart needs the job and needs the hour whenever she can get the hours. So we've built this this false kind of scenario where work on Sunday becomes justified because somebody needs the money as opposed to reconsidering the system which has been built in large part with the permission of Christians, the church, which calls for a seven day, you've got to work seven days in order to survive. The alternative witness is to say, no, we can do better. We can create a system, if we choose, that says not everybody does have to work seven days a week in order to feed their children. We had that better system about 
Um, Yeah, I, this is where things get so murky because now you're talking about an enforced system that really is no longer a witness because it's an enforced system. Um, so I, I have all kinds of little issues with blue laws and, and all of that. Um, blue laws actually prevented us from making our witness, if you think of it in one sense. We couldn't make our witness because the state did it for us. And since we rebel against laws, um, it's good to get rid of it. Good to get rid of a blue law. Yeah. We're doing what on the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Who knows it? The Sabbath was not for... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Which is basically, the way I read that, basically takes us back to the whole legalization thing, or um, not legalization, the whole legalistic issue. The Sabbath is a gift. It's not a, it's not a, a burden placed upon us. And in the context of Jesus' day, where you had to count how many footsteps you walked and then had to pause because you, if you walked one more step, you would have officially been working but you know the mule's got to be fed. So you take 10 paces, you stand for 10 seconds, then you can take another 10 paces because then it's not 20 paces, which would be work, and then you rest and then you take another 10 paces. Finally, you get the poor mule fed. And then you take 10 paces at a time coming back home, getting back into the house. In that kind of culture, what Jesus has to say is very important. You know, you can get lost in the little laws and the little little rules and all that, but really, the Sabbath is a gift. It's not something to be enforced, it's something to be received as grace. One and two. Yeah. 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 Make sense? All right. The Lord's Day or what? Or. Ah, good question. I'm not even going to pretend to have the answer to that question. As, as somebody who works on Sunday, I have to take a Sabbath some other day and choose to. Um, pardon? Thursday, yes. Thursday is my Sabbath. And I said last, last week, I'm terrible at it. I'm, I'm terrible at it. I, it's, a constant, it's a constant thing for me to, to go back and, and remember what that day is all about. Um, yeah, that's the easy part. It's the Lord's hour. I'll, I'll give... We did our thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, if we're going to try to kind of sum up today, um, this is a quote from Walter Brueggemann. I, I assume most of you have at least heard the name Walter Brueggemann. Probably the most, if, probably the most famous of Old Testament scholars today, probably, at least in my book, also the most brilliant. 
Um, so he's speaking about this, um, this Deuteronomy thing. So he's, he's giving this, the, the people the, the reaffirmation of the covenant as they're preparing to go back into, or they're preparing to move into the promised land. Moses understands, as do the prophets after him, that being in the land poses for Israel a conflict between two economic systems, each of which views the land differently. On the one hand, the land is regarded as property and possession to be bought and sold and traded and used. On the other hand, it is a context of covenant. Or other, on the other hand, in a context of covenant, the land is a birthright and an inheritance. One owns land, one own, one's own land, one's own land as a subset of the larger inheritance of the whole people of God. You got that? If the land is a is possession, then the pr- proper way to, of life is to acquire more. If the land is an inheritance, the prop, then the proper way of life is to enhance the neighborhood and the extended family so that all members may enjoy the good produce of the land. It is clear which of these perspectives was appropriate to Sinai, but in its amnesia, Israel may forget its covenantal frame of reference and generate an economy that is anti-neighborly in order to have more and more. Um, I find that convicting. Um, Because the older and older I get, the more and more I see the truth behind that. And that somehow, out of the, the beauty of what is capitalism... Um, of all the possibilities born out of capitalism, of all the, the um, progress that is born out of capitalism, there is also a significant danger. The danger is twofold. A, that the land be used up and discarded, stewardship issue of land, resource. But the other being that, what does that make of me as a human being? What kind of person do I become in a capitalistic system? Especially one that, li- as a person who lives in the capitalistic system that is in its season as it is right now. Systems have life cycles. And where we are right now, we can debate back and forth, but we're probably not in the greatest place, morally or ethically, with how we practice capitalism today. So the dangers are very vivid for me right now in my own mind and thinking. They may not be in yours, but they are in mine. He's kind of hit the nail on the head for me. Other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'll start with that part first. Absolutely do Sabbath. <coughs> As, and in terms of understanding it, um, what was the first part you said? Understanding it well, as, a as a state of mind. Not just as a response, but as a mission. Yeah. Okay. I, I, get, I get trashed by a particular person in the congregation <laughs> one-on-one. We, this is not a... Um, no no not you I'm not talking to you um, who says I need to preach more on obedience Um, and I say no I don't preach on obedience I preach on faith which is trust Um, so I you see where I'm going with that a state of mind if my state of mind is is trusting God with this, then maybe that leads to obedience. But, yeah, I think a state of mind, as human beings, we experiment with things. 
One of the things that, that thrills me is the idea of a, a congregation as, as people kind of experimenting with us. How can, we, how can we do this better? How can we do it together as a community better? And it was a mighty act of God. Exactly. One, as a firm believer in capitalism, mm -hmm. I don't know why you have to throw capitalism out as causing all this problem. You, all we have to do is say, no, we're not going to work on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a doctor or a farmer or something like that. What's the matter with our will to uh, um, say no? I think it goes back to Moses. Moses warned us about this. Moses said, you're going to go into a new land that is filled with milk and honey, streets paved in gold. What's going to happen? He didn't say anything about economic systems in, in one sense, but it was a warning. What happens when there is plenty and when there is prosperity? He doesn't even say prosperity and safety are bad. He just says, beware what might come out of it, what likely will come out of it. So why, do I, why, am I, why am I harping on capitalism here? Because I live in a capitalistic state. I don't live under communism. I don't live under socialism. I don't feel the effects of that, but I do live under a capitalistic system. That's the design. And because of that, it's, it's the only one I can relate to. All right. So, trying to sum up the two weeks. Um, the economy is not a rat race in which people remain exhausted from coercive goals. Uh, it is rather a conventional, covenantial enterprise for the sake of the whole community. Even in the new circumstance of the land, the old desert covenant is defining. Moses expects Israel to reject the acquisitive culture of its neighbors for the sake of a covenantal alternative. Does that make sense now? Are we getting there? Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I worship by serving others. So simple to me. I just look big. Mm -hmm. Love the Lord and enjoy. To me, I'm in the land of prophets. Yeah. Worshiping the Lord. Thanking the Lord. Pretty wonderful attitude. 
Um, I have to end. I have a few more slides, but I'm going to let them go. Um, Greg has something to talk about for next week um, after worship. So pay attention to what he's saying. Um, And I guess what I would ask you to do this week, you know, I gave you the little pages to take home last week, um, is to consider, you know, intentionally, what, what does this kind of understanding, taken out of the covenantal language and the covenantal realities of Israel, what does that do to our modern understanding of Sabbath? How are they similar? And, and what challenges does covenant language throw at us to consider as we think about Sabbath again? All right. Sir, would you close with prayer when you're done?